Welcome to True Vine Church Community's Sermon of the Week. Our hope is that this message would spark and sustain revival in your relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information about this podcast and other ways to connect with True Vine, visit us at blessphiladelphia.com. Jesus, we trust you to lead us and to guide us. Lord, you are a much better leader then Satan is a deceiver. And you give us your word so that we can know you and know what you've done in the past. And so, Jesus, I pray, uh, pray that as we look at your word today that we would be strengthened and encouraged in the name of Jesus. Amen. So today we're going to take a brief break or a respite from Ephesians. We're going to look at Acts chapter 11, specifically because there's a story in Acts chapter 11 that I find to be very relevant to what we're going through right now with the worldwide pandemic of the coronavirus. Uh, Before I get into Acts chapter 11, as I read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, I'm inspired by the stories of the people of God who step up in difficult times and provide creative, wise leadership, sacrificial leadership. I think of like Joseph in the book of Genesis, very early in the Bible, Joseph was put as the number two person, essentially the vice president of Egypt during a seven-year famine. Uh, Joseph was put in that situation. There was a seven-year famine, and God gave one of his people wisdom to know what to do when that uh, nation, well, it wasn't just Egypt. It's actually the whole world. There's famine over the whole world. And Joseph was so wise that he was able to care for not just the Egyptians, but other nations who needed food because he'd been stockpiling food for years. And he saved people's lives and God used it. But how did Joseph get into that position where he was the second in command over Egypt? Well, he got in that position because he was in prison and he interpreted the Pharaoh's dream. And because he interpreted it correctly, he was elevated. How did he get in prison? Because he was falsely accused of rape. How was he in a position where he was falsely accused of rape? Because his brothers hated him so much they threw him in a hole in the ground. If you know the story of Joseph, he didn't get to that position of power by political tactics or being a good guy. He, went, he ran a hard race and he suffered, but God elevated him and used him to save not only his own family's lives, but the lives of potentially millions of other people. I think of Daniel. Daniel's in a similar situation years later where he was the second command under the king and he interpreted dreams and he served in a high position in his government and led people and saved people's lives. How did Daniel get there though? Because his people were taken captive. They came into his town, burnt his town to the ground, carried him off like kidnapped him and he was elevated and served in that position. So Joseph, Daniel, uh, to give a somewhat more contemporary example, um, the Civil War and the Civil Rights Movement, if I can just hit pause for a moment. Our church vision statement is to make disciples that sustain revival. When we presented that to the congregation, the first question we had was, what do you mean by 
revival. What are you referring to when you say revival? <coughs> I think people were afraid that we were going to like push them over at the altar calls or make them like flop and shake on the ground or something like that. When we talk about revival, we mean spiritual renewal that leads to social change, okay? And let me explain what that means. Spiritual renewal means something happens, God calls a person to repentance, an individual responds to God, and that work of God in their life results in some sort of outward social change. And if God does that in enough people's lives, there will be enough change that there's total transformation in a society. Does that make sense? So I don't know if you know, if you, if you like history, you would probably be aware of this, but the Civil War took place at essentially the same time as the Second Great Awakening. The Second Great Awakening was this revival in America where pastors like uh, George Whitfield and John Wesley and Charles Finney were going around preaching the gospel, and while they were preaching the gospel, they were also preaching against slavery. And it was actually church leaders who were picking apart and swinging the axe at the idea that one race could be subjugated by another race in slavery. And it was the, the church that led America to the point of making a decision on slavery. Now that did end up in a, in a war that was bloody, but it was the church that led the charge there through preaching. And so many people got saved and convinced that no man should be owned by another man, that that led to a, an entire social change. And in 1863, Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation, and the Civil War ended, I think, the, the year after that. And so that was a spiritual renewal that led to a social change. The Civil Rights Movement, 100 years later, was led by a preacher, I mean, there were lots of civil rights leaders during the civil rights movement, but none of them had a greater impact than the Jesus-loving Martin Luther King Jr., right? I mean, none of, we don't celebrate Medgar Evers Day, although maybe we should, and, the, and many other civil rights leaders, but we celebrate Martin Luther King Jr. Day because he made an impact. And listen, that's not just because he was a good dude. He was a good dude. But this was someone whose commitment to Jesus and Jesus' word drove him to sacrifice, right? Now listen, Joseph, Daniel, Abraham Lincoln, Martin Luther King Jr., did any of them live comfortable lives? The, the two in the Bible suffered to get into those positions, and as you know, Abraham Lincoln and Martin Luther King Jr. lost their lives in the process, right? So listen, the Christian tradition has been that in times of crisis, the church steps up. The church does not run into hiding. We don't get reclusive. We step up and we lead even if it costs us. So I would look at this passage from Acts chapter 11. <coughs> I want to talk to you about the church in Antioch. There's a lot we could learn about the church in Antioch. There's a lot going on in Antioch. So I'm going to start in Acts 11 verse 23. I'm going to read it. It's going to be on the screen behind me. Uh, so this is what we're going to be in today. Starting, well, let me give you some context real quick from Acts 23. We're going to be reading initially about a guy named Barnabas. Can everybody say Barnabas? Barnabas was an encouraging guy. Uh, Barnabas is actually referred to as an apostle later in the Bible. So Barnabas uh, is an apostle. He's not one of the original 12, but he is called an apostle. Barnabas did not write any passage of the New Testament. But you know, he mentored Paul 
who wrote half of the New Testament. His protege wrote the Bible. And Paul mentored Timothy, who pastored the church in Ephesus. So even though Barnabas doesn't really get a lot of glory, if it wasn't for Barnabas, half of the New Testament may not have been written. If it wasn't for his coming alongside, taking younger people under his arm, mentoring them and developing him, we may not have what we have. So I praise God for Barnabas. So in verse 23, Barnabas is going to visit the church in the city of Antioch. It says, when he, Barnabas, arrived and witnessed the grace of God in Antioch, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. For he, Barnabas, was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. And he, Barnabas, left for the city of Tarsus to look for Saul. Anyone know who Saul is? Paul. Okay, that's another name for Paul. There's a Saul in the Old Testament. That's a different guy. All right. When Barnabas had found Saul or Paul, he brought him to Antioch, and for an entire year they met with the church and taught considerable numbers, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Now at this time some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and began to indicate by the Spirit that there would certainly be a great famine all over the world, and this took place in the reign of Claudius. And in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judea. And this they did, sending it in charge of Barnabas and Saul and the elders. So this is what happens. Barnabas goes to visit the church in Antioch. He's so encouraged by what he sees. He says, just give me a minute. I'm going to go get Paul. Brings Paul back. Barnabas and Paul spend a year in Antioch discipling the people. Things are going well. The church in Jerusalem hears about that, and they say, hey, we're going to send some of our prophets to go visit you. One of them is named Agabus. Agabus is a prophet. Agabus gets a word from the Lord, hey, there's going to be a famine. We need to take up an offering to send elsewhere to prepare for this. And they do take up an offering, everybody in proportion to their income, and they send it with Barnabas and Saul, or Barnabas and Paul, to the elders of the churches that are impacted. That's the snippet of the story. Everybody got that? Okay. <coughs> now I want to take a few moments to unpack that story. Because there's a lot of information in between the lines. Barnabas arrives in Antioch. Why is there a church in Antioch? See, there's a lot of reasons to start a church. You might have vision for it. There might be a neighborhood that needs a church. The reason the church in Antioch existed is because they were getting killed in Jerusalem. Christians were being killed in Jerusalem. This is in Acts chapter 8. They were getting persecuted, and they were like, we got to get out of here. And you know what? Sometimes there's nothing wrong with that. Paul hid. Jesus hid. Sometimes the appropriate thing is time to roll out. Now, other times the appropriate thing is we're going to stay put. That is a Holy Spirit-led decision. Okay, but in this instance, they're being persecuted in the city of Jerusalem. A lot of, lot of Jewish Christians in Jerusalem, but they're being persecuted. A guy named Stephen is actually killed. You know who Stephen, you know who stood there and held the coats of the people that killed Stephen? Paul, the same guy we're reading about, because he was not following Jesus at that point. He's like, you're going to kill this guy? I'll hold your coats, which is where the hold my beer thing came from originally. Just kidding. No one knows what I'm talking about? Okay. Just, <laughs> all right. 
they're being persecuted so severely in Jerusalem, some of them are like, I got to get out of here. They go 300 miles north. This would be like going to Boston to a city called Antioch. There is no church in Antioch. There's only a church in Jerusalem at this point. So all these Christians in escaping persecution move to Antioch, and now there's a church in Antioch. But that church is not super strong originally. This is people running for their lives. They didn't have a big, cool church planting campaign with a marketing and fundraising. They were just trying to stay alive. So they moved to Antioch. That's how the church in Antioch got started as a result of persecution. Barnabas goes and visits Antioch, and in verse 23, it says he witnessed the grace of God on the congregation. He rejoiced, and he began to encourage them. You know, think about what these folks would need that are going through this hard time. Do you think they could use a little encouragement? And look who God sent them, Barnabas, like whose name means encourager. And he comes along, he strengthens them, to encourage is to strengthen. So Barnabas goes and he has the same ministry to this church that he had to guys like Paul and others. He encourages them and strengthens them. He has it, it's resolute in his heart that he's going to encourage them to remain true to the Lord, which is to say, hey, I know things are hard. Do not give up on Jesus right now. Do not turn your back on God right now. I mean, these are people who are potentially losing their lives. They've already lost their home for Jesus. He's saying, stay true to the Lord. And then Paul, uh, uh, sorry, Barnabas, it says in verse 24, he was a good man. He was full of the Holy Spirit and faith and considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. So now this church is not just a hideout for persecuted Christians, but because of Barnabas's ministry, more people are coming to the Lord. Do you think it's possible that right now, while we're kind of all a little on edge and a little nervous and a little anxious, that maybe God could use the church to bring considerable numbers to him? Isn't that a possibility? And so it, that's how God used the church in Antioch. In the midst of going through a very tough time where they were scattered, considerable numbers came in. This is not a time for churches to go into their shell and hide. This is an opportunity for considerable numbers of people to give their lives to Jesus. Now, let's continue here. Uh, so, Barnabas decides he needs help. In verse 25, it says he leaves town for a little while. He goes to another city named Tarsus to get Paul. He comes back. I don't know if that took a couple months or a year, but it's only one verse in the Bible. But he gets Paul. And saw, uh, Paul and Barnabas minister for an entire year. They met with the church. And they taught that considerable number. And it was in the city of Antioch where the followers of Jesus were first called Christians. And that name was not an honor, it was a derogatory term. Oh, these Christians. They meant it to like mock them. Christian means little Christ or little Jesus, which sounds about right, doesn't it? Isn't that hypothetically what we're supposed to be as Christians? Little Jesuses, imperfect as we are. Now, verse 27, at this time, some prophets came... <laughs> <coughs> from Jerusalem to Antioch. Remember, these people all used to live in Jerusalem. Those who stayed behind and have been being persecuted and have been hiding, they send some of their prophets, some of their Christian prophets up to Antioch like, hey, go check that out and encourage them. 
And one of the prophets is named Agabus. Can everybody say Agabus? Okay. Agabus is a little-known character in the New Testament. Not a ton said about him, but a very interesting guy and worth looking at. Agabus is a prophet. He stands up and he begins to indicate by the Spirit that there would certainly be a great famine all over the world, and this took place in the reign of Claudius. So the prophet Agabus stands up, I I guess in a gathering, and he says there's going to be a famine, and we're going to need to prepare for this. This is just like what Joseph did. This is similar to what Daniel did. Uh, God has given them a prophet who said there's a famine coming. And then we find out it said it actually happened during the reign of Claudius, which is just a few years later. Just a few years later, this famine actually came to pass, and they were prepared. And here's how they prepared. in Verse 29, in proportion that any of the disciples had means, meaning money or resources, Each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judea. This they did, sending it in charge of Barnabas and Saul and the elders. So this is what the church did during a time of crisis. They did not go to Costco and buy up all the toilet paper. They took up an offering and sent it to those in need. Does that make sense? They did not stockpile. They shared. Now, listen. I bought a little extra toilet paper this week, all right? I'm guilty. But I've also shared some of it because I don't understand why we're stockpiling toilet paper. I'm just going with the flow, okay? So I don't know what's up, like what's going on here, but if everyone else is doing it, I'm doing it. But I want to show you that the church of Jesus has a history of stepping up not hiding during times of crisis and coming through when the world needs them. And I want to encourage us as followers of Jesus, now is not the time to hide. Now is the time to step up. Does that make sense? Now, people are going to be interested in the gospel right now. People are going to be watching, maybe not intentionally, but subtly or subconsciously, they're going to be watching to see how Christians conduct themselves. And listen, there's no place for fear. Now, we do want to be responsible. Paul in Ephesians prayed that the Ephesian church would have a spirit of wisdom and of revelation. Please do not throw wisdom out the window. Okay? Be wise which in Hebrew means wash your hands, all right? (laughs) Wash your hands. Stay home if you're sick. Listen to medical professionals. Listen to authorities, okay? But no one is saying freak out. The mayor's not saying freak out. No one's saying freak out. So is this making sense? We want to exercise responsibility, but also, you know, church may be suspended, Schools may be suspended. The Great Commission is not suspended. It's going on. Does that make sense? We, we have to continue loving our neighbors. And here we have this re- immediate need for creative ways to love our neighbors. You know, like how, whatever worked last week may not work anymore. So we're going to have to find creative new ways to love our neighbors. You find a hidden stockpile of Purell, grab one for your neighbor. You know what I'm saying? 
You need to bring your neighbor a meal maybe because they can't cook. Bring them a meal. Make sure it's prepackaged. They want a salad, leave it in the plastic bag. Okay? Maybe they need a ride to the doctor. If you have neighbors or family members that are in the uh, high-risk range, check in on them. These are the types of creative things we can do to show that, listen, we are responsible, but we are not fearful. And to go back to some of my earlier illustrations, it is not unchristlike to put yourself at risk to some degree. Didn't Jesus take a risk for us? I mean, didn't Joseph, Daniel, Abraham Lincoln, Martin Luther King Jr. all suffer to some degree? Now, I'm, please hear me. I'm not telling you to be irresponsible. I'm not telling you to be foolish. I'm just saying that, yeah, don't freak out and be bold. Not stupid, bold, okay? There's, you, you, you never have to be... You never have to stop washing your hands, okay? There's, I just can't imagine a situation where you're like, I have to let these things get dirty all day. I can't imagine a situation like that. But you don't have to avoid people. You know, I, I've been um, having this cough for six weeks. I've never gotten f- to the front of the line faster than <laughs> this week. I'm like, <laughs> you first, sir. Like, oh, all right. This is working out for me. Listen, I'm not saying this for my own good, but maybe it'll work out for me. Not every person that coughs has a coronavirus, okay? Um, So you don't have to be paralyzed by fear. In fact, fear will paralyze you, and it's going to shut you down. Um, A few years ago, well, actually 19 years ago, I'm sure you all remember September 11th, 2001. My wife and I were college students in suburban New York at the time, we lived 25 minutes outside of the city, so we were not in the city. We were never in danger, but the hysteria hit us immediately because we could see the smoke from the buildings from our campus. And I was a resident assistant, so I was in charge of 40 young men who were students, and I had to account for all of them, and I couldn't. And I knew that some of them had gone straight into the city that day to check on their families. One of them was in the Red Cross, and so he was down there moving rubble that day. Uh, And it was chaotic, and it was wild. And here's what happened in the church in America. That happened, I believe September 11th was a Tuesday. That following Sunday, do you know churches were packed? And the next week, they were packed. And the third week, they were packed. But after a few weeks, you know, they weren't packed anymore. It was a combination of people's desperation wearing off, but also there was a little bit of the church not knowing what to do. Churches were just not equipped to handle the considerable numbers of people that were now seeking an encounter with Jesus. And, you know, this happened all over the country. It's way too complex to say, here's one blanket answer for why this happened, or here's a blanket answer for why that happened. But I do know that in many cases, churches did not have the structure in place to evangelize and disciple the seekers that were coming. They didn't have the facilities, they didn't have the budget, and sometimes they didn't even have the desire. Just like, oh, we, we liked it. We liked how things were with our little group, us four and no more. You know, like 
We don't want to disrupt that. And, and I really feel like, in some ways, the church missed an opportunity right after September 11th because we have far less people following Jesus in the United States than we had before that. And see, I don't know about you, I don't want to miss opportunities. I kind of feel like we're put on earth for right now. In fact, I could probably show you a couple of Bible verses to prove it. We were put here for this right now. And we don't want to act like turtles, pull our heads into our shell and hide. We, no one else is going to have this opportunity but the church right now. And so I want to encourage you, just with a couple min- the last couple minutes I have, to find ways to, without violating wisdom and responsibility, without violating those things, find ways to minister and find ways to serve and be creative. Find opportunities. So like I said, I gave a couple examples. Check in on your neighbors. Uh, find ways to meet in small, smaller groups. Like we're, st- for the most part, our discipleship groups are continuing because we can meet in small groups. Be a part of those um talk to your kids please don't let this go by without talking to your kids because everyone else is talking to them my kids knew about it before i ever told them about it they heard about it at school talk to your kids use this as an opportunity to share the gospel share with your neighbors don't don't stockpile share with your neighbors if you're gonna buy a thousand purells and toilet papers buy them for your whole block not just your house you understand Find ways to serve. Find ways to bring comfort and peace to people. You know, like they don't need to see you worked up and nervous all the time because you don't have a reason to be. Um, be the voice of peace in an otherwise chaotic time. Okay? So I want to pray for us that the Holy Spirit would empower us and equip us to be that. So would you mind standing with me and holding hands? Just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. want to see if you're listening. <clears throat> Jesus, we bless you. Nothing about this catches you off guard. Nothing about this makes you anxious. We join with your work of summing all things up in you. I pray that you would give us really creative opportunities to serve our neighbors right now. I pray that you would, Lord, uh, call intercessors to long times of prayer, that people would wrestle in prayer for our country and for the world and for the church, Jesus. I pray that those who have prophetic giftings would be able to minister and share words of encouragement that are precisely timely and accurate for people that need to hear them. I pray, God, that the church, specifically our church, would be marked by peace and not anxiety or fear. Lord, that the church would go forth in this hour as a witness to the world of what confidence in Jesus looks like. And I pray that in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to True Vine's Sermon of the Week. This podcast and an archive of previous episodes can be found at blessphiladelphia.com.